morning, I'm going to go ahead and start my message. Um, remind me about tithes and offerings, and I'll try to remember at the end. But you know, just in what God's doing, I, I just sense He's communicating something to the body. And I want to take the pause and just focus upon His Word. I mean, I, 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 this has been a crazy week in, in our world, like, or at least in the United States. Like, I don't know, unprecedented, I would say, is probably the best terminology I can use in our world, I don't know that we've ever experienced anything like like this week. And, you know, as a pastor, I wrestled with how do I present, what do I talk about, what are we doing? And, you know, it just seems like we've taken this thing and we're just COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. And it's gone like from zero to 60 in about no time whatsoever. And, and really, in the midst of these moments, what I've been wrestling with, and we spent time in Sunday school talking about it, is... What is God calling us to do in the midst of what's happening? Like, where is our place? You know, it was refreshing. The other night I was praying with my kids before bed. I think it was Friday night. I was praying with Graham. I said, what do you want to pray for? And, he, you know, he said, a good day tomorrow. If you ever pray with Graham, that's what he wants to pray for, is tomorrow to be a good day. Um, and so then we're praying, and I prayed for coronavirus. And he looked at me, and he, he said, Dad, what's that? I said, how refreshing. Like, no clue oblivious to this thing, this, this infirmity, this whatever that's, that's going around. A couple of commercials for our church, you know. Uh, there's a lot going on in churches right now. And I met, Tanner was on a call with me yesterday uh, with pastors across our state. And, and I've talked to pastors in other states and all that's happening. So the commercial I'll give is this. Simply put, if you're sick, just stay home right now. It's... It's just probably the best solution. I know sometimes we got some guilt. Pastor is not gonna not gonna give you a, an empty space. I can still give you your gold star for Sunday if you need it and you're sick, whatever it takes. But if you're not feeling well, don't come to church. I I managed to scrounge up. We had a little bit of hand sanitizer at our house, uh, so we put some around the church. And then there's some jars of just rubbing alcohol. If you can't use the hand sanitizer, just spray the rubbing alcohol on your hand. It's the same thing. Just doesn't have the gooey stuff in it. Uh, so those those are here. Um, but, you know, the reality is with, with what's going on in our world, it's just such an, an interesting moment. And, and we want to be cautious. We want to take the right precautions, but we don't want to be paranoid. We want to live in faith and not fear. We want to live in, in the place that God has for us with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And that's what we're trying to discern. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's easy to look at someone else in this moment and say, why did you do that? So I will tell you this morning in this room, there might be some people who are here saying, I can't believe that churches in Lincoln, Nebraska closed because there's 10 people in Lincoln with with the virus. And I would say, be careful not to let judgment come because I will promise you whatever decisions are being made, at least in the circles that I've talked to, people are truly wrestling with the best way as we go through it. It's unprecedented. We're wading in waters that maybe we've been through before, but we never had the media to tell us what was happening quite like they are today. We've never had Facebook for everyone. You know, everyone is an expert on COVID-19 now. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get on Facebook, everyone knows everything about the disease, and no one knows a thing at all. But, but so we've never been in this moment, and so I think it's a critical moment. It's a pivotal moment for the church, and I believe in this moment, in this season, God is going to do something remarkable, not just in, in our community, but, but in our world because of what's happening. I believe that God will use this for something absolutely remarkable 
if we are intentional to the moments that he's placing before us. And so as a pastor, uh, if you talk to me, if I talk to my friends right now in ministry, all my questions are, what can we do? How do we move in this moment? How can we be light and hope? How can we be... Um, an analogy that one of the pastors in Carney used yesterday. He talked about, uh, he was preaching this morning, and he said, my sermon's all about a compass, and a compass always points north. He said, it doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime, the compass points north. It doesn't matter if there's an earthquake or a blizzard, the compass is always pointing north. And how that we as a church, we have to keep eyes focused north in the midst of this moment. There are people who are scared. There are people who are sick. There are people who are struggling. There are people who are confused. And in the midst of all of this, we are that force. We are that tool that should continually people point people towards God and His favor and His place in this. I'm going to pray for my message. There's a portion of Scripture God dumped in my heart on Monday. And I didn't know. I thought it was for a different context. I probably still use it. We'll use it in a different context. But I realized how applicable it is to this morning. We're going to be in Second Kings chapter 4 this morning. Um, but I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word this day. And we thank you for your anointing that is in this place. God, we thank you that you prepared us for this moment. That, that you prepared a message for our hearts to hear. And God, I pray for each of us in this room that you help us to hear your word. Let us take captive those thoughts that stand up against the knowledge of God. Let us set aside those distractions that keep us from focusing upon your word. God, for myself as a pastor, I pray that in these moments I would be yielded, submitted wholly to you, allowing your word to come forth in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings chapter 4, interesting story. And good luck connecting the dots, and you'll have to figure out how my brain works to put all these things together. Second Kings, well, I'll, think, I'll connect the dots by the time you go home, but if you're trying to early, good luck. Uh, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't, don't ask just a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you. And you and your sons pour out oil into all the jars. As, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and she shut the door Behind her and her sons, they brought the jars to her. She kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. This morning, I, I want to spend some time in this story. This is the story about the prophet. If you recall, Elijah was a prophet, and then he, he tossed his mantle onto Elisha, and Elisha was the prophet. And what we're seeing in this story in, in 2 Kings chapter 4 is it sounds like one of, the, one of the Bible college students who was studying 
underneath the, the prophet Elisha. That's really who it is. He's got, he's, he, he, this is, he died, right? This, this, this prophet to the prophets, a man from the company of the prophets, uh, the, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets, her husband had died. That's who this was. So basically, um, if you have to put this in your brain, just so you can see the story, is there's a woman talking to Elijah who's kind of over top or overseeing the company of the prophets, which is where her husband would have served, kind of serving underneath Elisha. And so she went to him, and, and she had this really traumatic moment. I mean, think about it. She's a, she's a mother. She's got children, right? And her husband has, has died. Not only did he die, but much like many uh, Bible college graduates, he left his wife in a big problem. What's the predicament she's facing? She's got a lot of debt. I mean, how bad is the debt? What's it going to cost her? Her sons. I want you to think about that woman in this moment. So her husband has just died. Not only is she facing the reality of his death, but she's facing the reality of, of his, his debt and the reality of the effect of his debt. So she's potentially looking at losing everything in this moment. It's a situation that is logically beyond her comprehension. She can't handle herself in this moment. I mean, now I'm going to lose not just my husband, but I'm going to lose my sons because of his debt, and I can't afford to repay it, so what am I going to do? So she goes and talks to the prophet. In a moment of fear, she went to the man of God. I want to talk about fearful moments because I believe that's what this moment truly is. A challenging situation that maybe is beyond her comprehension. A challenging situation that maybe she cannot see a way out. Her response was not to respond in fear, but she responded seeking an answer from where she could get it. So she goes to the man of God. I want to talk about it. We've mentioned it this morning and and we've talked about it. In these moments and what's happening in our world right now, there is a lot of fear. We talked in Sunday school. There's a lot of people who are afraid. I want to read to you, church, to you this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the Spirit does not make us timid. Where he does not give us a spirit of fear is what it would say in some other translations, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Walt took my thunder this morning, Psalm chapter 91, in the midst of these moments. We are not a fearful people, but we are a faithful people. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Surely he will save you from the snailers, from the fowler's snare, snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with feathers and under his wings, and you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your, right, uh, at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me. You remember what the word of the Lord was today? Because he loves me, says the Lord. Because he loves me, says God this morning. Because of your love for him, says God to you this day. Because you love me, I will rescue you. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I tell you what, I read a lot of what God will do in that portion of Scripture. Do you hear what he says? These are promises that God is making. I will, he says. I will, he says. He doesn't say, I might. He doesn't say, maybe. But he says, I will. I want to tell you, church, that God is faithful in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of a fearful situation. God is absolutely faithful. Do we always like where we end up? Maybe not. But God is faithful, and he will not leave you or forsake you. He will be with you. He will deliver you. He will protect you. Huh? You know, in the last couple of days I shared in Sunday school, um, I, my brain has been so involved in all of this. I've been reading, studying, learning about all these things, the responses of church. I mean, again, I'm, I'm helping not just lead our local church, but lead churches across our district and the state of Nebraska. And I'm like, what, what can I learn from what's been done? Like, that's what I like to do. I like to look backwards so I can see what's worked. And it's such an unprecedented moment. I mean... That, that we don't have a lot of references. There was a, a man by the name of John G. Lake, and he was, a, he was an evangelist, and, and the bubonic plague or black death was going around, and it says that he was called by God to lay his hand on the sick, and he was going to the people that no one wanted to touch. He was laying his hands on the sick, and they were being healed, and people were coming to Christ. And I'm like, man, God, that's cool. So you're telling me right now I'm supposed to go pray for people like this. Amen. I read about a man named Martin Luther, you know. Uh, we've heard the name, and... And he was in Wittenberg, England, when the bubonic plague came through there. And, and they were telling everyone, get out of town. Like, they were closing down uh, the NCAA tournament. And they were closing down, like, all the toilet paper was gone in England. I mean, all these things were happening. It just made that part up. And his wife was pregnant. So everybody's saying, get out of town. Now, God didn't go, call him to necessarily go uh, find all the people who were suffering, but when he knew someone was suffering, he ministered to them in the moment that was presented to him. Not out of fear, not out of anxiety, not out of what might happen, but out of faithfulness because God had called him to do that. Let me tell you, church, we need to get in our hearts what God is speaking for us to do and do exactly what God has called us to do. This situation is not bigger than my God. These moments in time are not greater or are not out of God's control. They're not beyond His capabilities. Yet, in the midst of these moments, all the hand sanitizer and toilet paper in the world disappears because people are wrapped in panic. I don't know what we're solving there, but we're going to be protected and clean. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people 
we're responding out of fear. Not out of desperation. This woman was desperate. But her desperation led her to the man of God. This woman was not fearful, but let her focus on what her problems were going to become. She wasn't looking back at at all the circumstances, but she was looking forward. She was looking for God's answer in the midst of the moment. She was absolutely desperate for the man of God to do something. She cried out to Elisha, like, my husband's dead and they're going to take my kids. Yes, that's absolute desperation. But her desperation didn't lead her to a a place of fear. Her desperation brought her to a place of trust. So what happens? Elisha, the prophet, replies to her, how can I help you? Seriously, who's looking for that answer in this moment? (laughs) My husband's dead and they're going to take my kids. How can I help you? Like, didn't you hear what I just said? My husband's dead and they're going to take my kids. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, wait a minute, prophet. Why do you want to know what I got in my house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. You know, this woman understood what Elisha was asking. Hey, what do you got in your house? Like, here's the problem you're facing. Your husband's dead and you owe lots of money, so what's in your house? You know what I love about this response? Yes, she said there's nothing there at all, but she didn't respond with her lack. I I, I don't have any gold. I, I don't got any meat in the freezer. We didn't have freezers then. I don't got any jewelry on the nightstand. I don't got any dollar bills under my mattress. She didn't respond with what she didn't have, but she responded with all that she had. This is profound to me. I feel like so often when we're facing a challenging situation or when we're looking at a situation that, that, that's beyond our comprehension, we always start with our limitations. Elisha, why are you asking me what I have? Because I'll tell you what I don't have. I don't, gotta, I don't have two nickels to squeeze together to get anything. I don't have anything. We don't have a garden in. My husband was supposed to plant that, but then he went off and died, and he had all these stinking student loans from college, and all he left me with was a bunch of people who wanted to come get my kids and steal my kids. How often when we're facing the moment, when we're, when we're facing the circumstance, do we respond to the question? Elijah just asked a simple question, what you got? What's in your house? Don't, don't, don't talk about what you lost. Don't talk about what you're afraid of losing. Don't talk about what you're feeling. What's in your house? What is Elisha trying to do? Let's find that one valuable thing that God can use. You know, in these moments, we limit ourselves. We limit God by our limitations. God doesn't want to know what you don't have in the midst of these moments. God doesn't want to know what, what, what's missing from your life or what challenges you face. God wants to know what you got. Hey, what do you have? Because God's going to use what you have and what we'll see is He does something absolutely remarkable with what we have. 
Not defined by what we don't have, but God takes what we do have. So often in churches we're paralyzed because we look at someone else and we say they've got more, so God must want to use them. We don't sing because we say Tam sings better. We don't preach because we say Pastor preaches better. We don't shake people's hands because we say Greg shakes people's hands better. And we limit ourselves on what God can do. We're too busy not looking at what God wants to do in us. We don't see. You know what God saw in her home? You know what I hear the prophet is asking her? What is valuable? What do you have of value? Now, I don't know what a small jar of olive oil cost in those days. But I'm guessing it wasn't enough to pay off his debts. Don't let your limitations... Define what God's going to do in you. Don't let what you don't have hinder what God wants to accomplish in you. Instead, look at what you do have. Stop proclaiming all the nots and start proclaiming all the the do's. There's a story in Acts chapter 3. There was a man who was lame from birth being carried out to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was uh, put to beg every day from those going into the temple courts. He saw Peter and John about to enter. He asked them for money. What did he ask for? He asked for money. What did John and, and, and Peter not have? They didn't have money, right? But they knew they had something of value. You know, you're asking for something, but I don't have that. But here's what I do have. They said, so, the, so, so, so Peter looked straight at him, as, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave his attention, expecting to get something from them. They said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth Walk. I want to tell you this morning that you have something valuable in your house. I want to tell you, child of God, that you absolutely have something of value in your house. Whether you recognize it or not, people may be quantifying value by gold and silver. People may be quantifying value by gifts and abilities. But I want to tell you this morning, apart from your gold and silver, apart from your gifts and abilities, apart from the jewelry on your mantle or the dollar bills underneath your pillow, you have value. Well, how can I say that? Romans chapter 8. The spirit you received does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is where? Huh? Where is the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, there's something in your house. Let me tell you, when someone says, what do you have? You've got the Holy Spirit that is absolutely within you. There is nothing that can take the Holy Spirit who is within you. Do you not know your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You receive the Spirit of God. And so in the midst of this moment, in the midst of this challenging situation, or the next one that will come, I can promise you there's something in your house 
of value. There's something in your house that God can use. There's something in your house that God will use if you allow Him to do it. What is in you? The prophet looked at them and said, that woman and said, what's in your house? Well, well prophet, all I've got is a, a small jar of oil. Let me tell you something about oil in the, in the Old Testament. Do you know what oil represents in the Old Testament a lot of times? The Holy Spirit. New Testament believer, child of God, He has placed His Spirit inside of you. When you ask Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior, His Spirit indwells you. His Spirit is placed inside of you. I want to tell you this morning, I don't care what blizzard, I don't care what earthquake, I don't care whether it's night or day, but the Spirit of God has been placed inside of you and there is absolute value in this moment. story says, Elijah said, go and ask all your friends, all your neighbors for their empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Go inside and shut the door behind you and you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her. She kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. The oil stopped flowing and she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. I want to tell you, sometimes when we can get beyond the fear and we live in faith, and when we recognize what we do have and we give it to God, God asks us to do some pretty crazy things. Like we don't see Elisha explaining what's going to happen. The prophet, the one who speaks for God, looks at this woman. She says, I got one small jar of olive oil. Okay, now here's what I want you to do, Cheryl. You got one jar of olive oil? Go ask your neighbor for more jars. Your jars are bigger. Your jars are more. Let me tell you, in the midst of the moment, God may ask for radical obedience. In the midst of the moment, God may ask you to do things that don't make sense. And sometimes when God speaks, we just got to do it. Does it make sense? Knock, knock, knock. Hey, can I have some jars for oil? Oh, you got a big surplus? No, I ain't got none. Here you go. Son's going to houses. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Mom needs some oil jars. Got any empty ones? Hey, here's the ones in the recycling bin. Take them with you. Makes no sense. Let me tell you about not making sense. So they go get all these these empty jars. We don't know how many they have, but it's a bunch. Because they sell enough to pay for themselves, the debt, and to live on for the rest of their stinking lives. And they got one small jar of olive oil. And what does the prophet tell her to do? Someone needs to hear this this morning. The prophet says, go home and close your door. Wait a minute. You coming with me? Do you see that? 
The miracle wasn't dependent on the prophet. This is remarkable in the Old Testament. This is incredible in the Old Testament. The prophet wasn't the means of God's provision. He, he, he instructed, he told the woman what to do, and then he sent her home, and God used her and her sons to do something incredible. I'm going home and shutting my door so no one sees because I've got doubt. <laughs> he sent her home to shut her door. I think that's not because he didn't want people to see what was happening, because she had a trust that God was going to meet her need. I mean, you imagine her in that moment? Room full of empty jars and this one little thing? Well, here's what I got. Here's my jar. <laughs> Close that door because <laughs> things are about to get crazy. about radical obedience. Looks at her sons and says, bring me the jar. She takes what's not enough. She takes the only thing she has that's valuable. I want to talk to her. I want to know what's going through her brain. Doors cut. Her kids are there. She takes off the lid and she starts pouring. I'm guessing just because I like to think things through. The first jar was bigger than the jar she was pouring from. She started pouring. And I say when we trust God, and when we offer Him what we've got, and when we live in radical obedience, God does incredible things. And she just started pouring. Calls the next son, bring me a jar. I bet things are getting excited about that second or third jar. Can you imagine? I want to get to that moment where we're pouring. And the world says that there's nothing we can do. This is all we got. And we start pouring. <laughs> and they bring that second jar. And the third. Open the door! <laughs> Fourth jar. Fifth jar. Man, get on Facebook live stream this. Six jar. All the jars. He's not going to stop pouring until the needs are all met. He's not going to stop moving until every jar is full. I want to tell you this morning, God has placed something valuable inside of you. I want to tell you that He's placed His Spirit inside of everyone who believes. I want to tell you that if, if you can look and recognize what God has given you, and you can allow Him to stretch you to a place of using what He's given you. You can go to your neighbors and say, hey, you got some jars? 
You can go away from, 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 the, from the security. I really think the prophet had to be her security. Think about it. She lost her husband. The next covering she had really was the prophet. He sent her away from all of that to go to her place, her room, and trust God for herself. When it's your faith with what God's given you that's valuable, He's going to do absolutely incredible things. Not only could she pay back the debt, not only could she save her sons, not only were her sons delivered in that moment, but you and your sons can live on what is left. Come on, let me tell you that God desires to do something beyond your comprehension when you're willing to trust Him with what you do have and radically obey what He asks you to do. I'm going to say that again, because that's preaching to me. In the midst of your challenge, God is going to use your trust to use what He's given you to do something absolutely incredible when you radically obey what He's asking you to do. moment I never dreamed I'd preach. Go ahead and pull that next slide up. If I ever thought, if I ever dreamed, Mike, in a million years, I'd have a Trump tweet on my screen. I told you it's a crazy week. <laughs> Our president this, this, this Thursday, I believe it was, declared that this morning would be a national day of prayer. His tweet says, It's my great honor to declare that Sunday, March 15th, is a national day of prayer. We are a country that throughout our history has looked to God for protection and strength in times like these. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will hear their land. I believe that God has given us something. He's placed His Spirit inside of us. I believe that, that, that because of the leadership of our nation and because of where we are in this moment, that God is calling His people out to cry out for our nation, to cry out not just for those who are sick. Yes, we cry out for those who are sick. We cry out for those who are in fear. We cry out for the opportunities to minister. We cry out to those who are hurting financially and economically. We cry out not just that those needs would be met, but that a revelation of Jesus Christ would be revealed in the midst of these moments. We cry out that that anointing, that that small bit of oil that He's placed inside of us, He would use for extreme, incredible things, things that don't make sense, things that we cannot calculate, things that we cannot understand. But because we're listening to Him, we're trusting in Him, we're crying out to God, God, here's our circumstance. Here's the, the moment that we're facing. Here's the fear that we're experiencing. We can look at ourselves and say, what can the church do in the midst of this moment? I mean, what really can we do as a church to affect our nation? I mean, there might be 55 people in this room. What can we do in order to, to impact our nation? I can promise you, if we are obedient with what God has given us, He can do something that is beyond our comprehension. And maybe, just maybe, He'll call you into your room. Maybe, just maybe, He'll ask you to open that jar. Maybe, just maybe, He'll ask you to start pouring in faith. And you might get a little bit excited when you see what God is doing in you and through you. You guys can come forward.
if my people, through a son and daughter of the Almighty, who are called by my name, he has called you his very own, will humble yourselves and pray. You know, this morning I believe that in this room the jar can start growing. believe that he can start doing something incredible with what he's placed inside of you. Listen to me. Don't disqualify yourself because you say, I don't have enough. My faith is nowhere near yours. You know what? This morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be part of this prayer. He's faithful. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Well, how do I do that? If you confess, Jesus Christ, you are Lord of it all. I lay myself down before you. I acknowledge, he says in Scripture, that we've all sinned. Every one of us has struggled with sin, but God has brought forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. That's the cross. That's what was accomplished in that moment. The payment for sin was given in that moment. If we confess our sin, He is faithful to forgive. He says, and then you'll be saved. And for all who are saved, He's placed this this small jar of oil. He's given us the power to do incredible things. God, I I cry out in this room that our jars would begin to pour. God, I pray that whether it's this moment or a moment to come, that we recognize that You're not defined by our limitations. You're not defined by what we don't have, but that You've given us the Spirit of God who has indwelled us. That we are temples of the Holy Spirit. He is in us. And God, I pray that we could offer that back this day. God, that we would trust you with that. That we would have radical obedience to what you call us to do. God, not what someone else tells us we should do, but what you say we should do in these moments. And God, that when you ask us to start pouring, we see the incredible. Father, I pray for our nation in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that in the midst of this moment, in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this, what they're calling a pandemic, God, I pray that that the church would be the church, that we would be demonstrations of love, that we would be ministers of peace and hope and joy and life. God, I pray for those who are sick, that they would be made well. I pray for those that, God, are captivated by fear, that they would be set forth by the, by the power of God. God, I do pray again, as Walt prayed for our leaders, that they would have understanding in the best steps possible, that we would function, God, in wisdom, that we would function in understanding. God, I pray that we would function in grace and mercy towards one another. God, I pray that you would take what the enemy designed for, for, for harm and you would use it for good in the name of Jesus Christ. 
God, I pray that in these moments that people would be drawn to you. God, that when everything seems to be shifting and when, when everything seems to be upside down, I pray, God, that you would use each of us as a compass. We know the way. We know where we're going. And we know how to get there. We know the way, God. We know where we're going. And we know how to get there no matter what we're facing. Use us, God, as compasses in our community, in our state, in our world. And God, I look forward to to your fulfillment, to what you're doing in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the worship team to to lead us in, in a chorus. It's a time of prayer. You know, it's a time that you can be praying for your nation. If you say, I don't know how to pray, hey, just ask for God to protect us. It's a time that we can cry out. It's what we're being asked to do. Churches, and I mean across the the, the nation, are doing the same thing this morning. You're not just something that's a part of this room, but it's something that's a part of something incredible. Spend some time doing that. If you have a need in your life this morning, I still want an opportunity to pray for you. If you're wrestling with with, uh, a problem, or if you're even someone who maybe is captivated a little bit by fear in the midst of this moment, I want an opportunity to pray with you that God of all understanding will reveal himself in the midst of these moments. God is good, amen? God desires incredible things in your life, amen? God's going to use you for something that's beyond your comprehension. God's going to use our church for something that goes beyond our expectation. For His glory. For His kingdom. For His will. The Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May He turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. And may you recognize the moment. And may you give Him what is valuable so he can do the incredible. Amen? Be blessed.